The reading is taken from Judges, chapter 6, beginning to read at verse 33, and it can be found on page 249 in the Pew Bibles. <clears throat> Judges 6, verse 33. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizarites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. <clears throat> Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry, or the ground was covered with dew. This is the word of the Lord. Have I got that in the right place, Simon? Thank you. In this passage, we read of Gideon's struggle to believe that God's promises and God's power were sufficient for the challenges that lay ahead of him. Old enemies had crossed the Jordan River and were preparing to attack. Perhaps more than 135,000 men. Why so many? not because they were all needed to defeat Israel, but because they perhaps anticipated there would be so much booty, so much grain to carry away. They all wanted their cut, their peace. The Valley of Jezreel, separating the central region of Samaria from the northern tribal territories, was a great fertile area, and it was called the breadbasket of Israel. And of course, these armies had come raiding before. The text tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. The Holy Spirit clothed him, like a warrior might put on a suit of armour. The same word is used of Zechariah, the priest, 
who spoke against the apostasy of the people and was eventually put to death, was martyred. So Gideon blew his trumpet, a ram's horn probably. This was the call to his countrymen to take up arms. It was no secret gathering. It was out in the open from the mountaintop, calling upon the Israelites to defend their land, their people, and their possessions. Have we heard that trumpet call for ourselves? The call to prayer, to understand God's ways, to get in step with him and discern what God is saying to us and to our church community? There were some unlikely responses to the call. The Abizrites, who'd recently been Baal worshippers, and the northern tribes, who weren't directly threatened by the armies, massed around the Jezreel Valley. Why did they respond? Was it in recognition of the move of the Holy Spirit, or because they were impressed with Gideon? Maybe it was both. Because God had put his stamp of approval on Gideon and his leadership in the incident of the destruction of the altar of Baal. But although the troops were ready and had heard the call, Gideon wasn't. Deuteronomy 6.16 prohibits the testing of God. It says, Thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. Maybe because of the genuineness of Gideon's doubts, we read how God granted Gideon's request for a sign. Here we read of God answering Gideon with love rather than with judgment. And the fleece was wet whilst the ground was dry. Wouldn't it be good if we could all remain secure in God's love instead of wavering? Maybe there's something of a Gideon in each of us. And in his patience and tenderness, God speaks to us if we approach him honestly with our fears and our lack of faith. Fred put a, a, a little sticker on the cross at the back last night and it said, Faith is the opposite of fear. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 7 says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit. And when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to me for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And the answer is, of course, that we can't. We can be so secure in our our Lord and abide safely in his presence. We have no need to hide. But wool absorbs and retains more dew, more water than a stone floor. If ever you've tried to dry woolly jumpers, you know that. It wasn't unusual for water to be squeezed out of a fleece under these conditions. And indeed, laying a fleece on a floor was a way desert nomads used to obtain water. So Gideon wanted another, a miraculous sign. Please, let me make a test once more with the fleece, he said. 
Let it now be dry only on the fleece and let there be dew on all the ground. The reversal of the natural chain of events. And God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece and dew was on all the ground. This gave Gideon the assurance he wanted. Psalm 139 says that the Holy Spirit searches us and knows us. And Jesus, in the New Testament, responded to Thomas's doubts that he had risen from the dead in John 20, verses 26 to 29, by letting him touch the wounds made by the crucifixion. But he said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There are times when despite walking with faith in the call God has placed on our hearts, we genuinely and honestly have to say in prayer before him, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I guess that many of us here have laid a fleece out before God, looking for an assurance, for a confirmation of something we've heard through faith. Should I move house? Am I going to have a longed-for child? Should I change my job? I remember with slight distaste the promise boxes that were around a few years ago, and a pair, you use a pair of tweezers to pick out a verse. The group that I was with, some of them used to use it as a Christian horoscope. I'm sure that's not the sort of fleece that we should lay out before God. But if we are genuine in our search for God's assurance, then he will meet us as we read, pray, and worship. And as Jeremiah 29 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. What we see in this passage is not Gideon seeking the right decision. That had already been made. But the faith to believe to gain confirmation of the guidance he'd already been given, for a supernatural confidence in God's purposes. Just over four years ago now, God reawakened a a call I'd heard from him a long time before, just before I went to university. All those years ago, I could only express that call as vocational, but to what exactly, I didn't know. I was a Roman Catholic, and I went to see my parish priest. And amongst other things, he did confirm that I wasn't called to be a nun in a convent. And I was so relieved and grateful for that. (laughs) But that call to vocation never went away. You might think that many years later, when God revealed his call, his call to ordination in the Anglican Church, I would be absolutely convinced in its rightness. All the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle seemed to fit together, but it seemed so out of my comfort zone. And when Mia referred to me as an ordinan this morning, I did a little, ooh. <laughs> Is that me? <laughs> I remember saying to a friend one day that I'd really like God to put it in writing. Please. I had a week off that summer, and I decided I would spend it visiting the early Christian and archaeological sites in Shropshire and Mid Wales. Very sad, I know, but that's what I enjoy. (laughs) I had a leaflet from a group that had organised pilgrimages in the area, 
and I thought I'd do the same. Although whether hill climbing and visiting ancient churches in the rain with a rather wet and miserable dog could be described as a pilgrimage is debatable. And it was a rather grand title for a week off work. Although one of the definitions of pilgrimage is a long search or journey. So maybe pilgrimage was the right term. For most of the week, I was just walking the dog. No revelations, no special moments of prayer, just rain and a smelly dog. But on the fourth day, I went to a little church in the middle of Wales. I walked up to the church door, expecting it to be locked, and pulled it open. On the inner door, there was a poster which said, God is calling you to ordination. So I shut the door. (laughs) And then I opened it again. And the poster was still there, and it said the same thing. So the dog and I stumbled into the church, and I sat in the back pew, not knowing whether to laugh or cry. God knows us and surprises us sometimes, and I think he was probably smiling up in heaven. As individuals and as a community of faith, we have an assurance of our security in God, not based on a feel-good factor or on our human resources, but in a confidence in the loving, caring power of God. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to cast all of our cares and anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for me. He cares for each one of us and for this community of believers, which we are all part of. The Bible tells us that we can be confident in the reality of his presence in our lives because as 1 John 4.13 says, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. James 4 says, amongst a lot of other things, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's as we draw near to God, our faith increases And we can become more settled in God's calling, in his vision, in his assurances. So how can we draw nearer to God? Here are some suggestions. I'm sure you can think of others. We can draw near by immersing ourselves in the word of God. At Christmas, um, I had an email from Sharon Lord, who is training for ordination in Durham. And she said she was spending her afternoon sitting in the cathedral, reading the Bible, reflecting, praying, and it was wonderful. And I felt jealous because my time with the Lord was at subsistence level. Family, work, the course, everything was pressuring, was crowding in. And when I took stock... I realized how little time in every 24 hours I was spending alone with God. Now, this place doesn't look much like Durham Cathedral, but we can still meet God here. We can meet God in the countryside. We can meet God in our homes, in our cars. We just need to set aside time to be with him. We can draw near to God by being honest with him and with each other, knowing that he'll be patient with us. 
We have someone in our home group who is diligent in asking, how are things? How are things, Ursula? And almost without thinking one day, I said, very well, thank you. But he persisted and he said, and how are you really? And as he asked, I sensed his pastor's heart that really cared for me and really wanted to know how things were. We all need friends who can ask that question and with whom we can feel safe enough to give an honest answer. We can draw nearer to God through prayer and sometimes it helps to share our prayer life with others. I have two friends who've been prayer partners for almost 30 years and the value that they have in my life is immeasurable. And we can draw nearer to God by hearing him speak and step out in faith, like Margaret and Angie did with coffee in the living room, and Laura when she meets with the young people of the village, or Libby with her renewed vision for outlook. Folk in our church are blowing the trumpet, are calling us together to gather in the vision of God, the vision he's given us. Are we responding? And we draw near to God when we choose to spend time with people who build our faith and not with people who destroy it through gossip, through negativity, or the consumerist ideology that pervades even the church. And we draw near to God by recognizing that all we have is from him. It's a tall order, isn't it, to stay close to God? And it's only with the help of the Holy Spirit who guides our steps that we can hope to stay on the pathway. Martin Luther, in a letter to Erasmus, said, The Holy Spirit is no skeptic. He has written neither doubt nor mere opinion into our hearts, but rather solid assurances which are more sure and solid than all experience and even life itself. There's a a 5th century Celtic prayer of faith by Bridget, which I find really helpful, particularly over Christmas, when life seems so pressured. And it says, I arise today through a mighty strength, God's power to guide me, God's might to uphold me, God's eyes to watch over me, God's ears to hear me, God's word to give me speech, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to shelter me, and God's host to secure me. Amen.